I know something I was going to ask you. I, I so I recorded an episode last night uh, with my friend uh, Sarah, who is my my good friend, growing up Clark's uh, girlfriend. And so I've met current girlfriend or girlfriend. Current girlfriend. Okay. And so I've met. Did, I was just going to straighten the shade, but the light is good. Oh, so I met. So I met her through him like a couple years ago, and I've seen her at like holidays and such Mm -hmm. and so i uh so i feel like i know her it's been like a few years yeah and so i know her and when i call clark i like usually say like hey let me talk to sarah you know like Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and uh so i had her on the podcast last night and uh but what was funny was as i was preparing for it i had this realization uh that i didn't know her last name (laughs) and so instead of like just texting clark and be like what's sarah's last name but you know i was like i want to have it be a moment. We're going to have like a learning moment on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we had this great conversation about how when you meet adults, you don't often know, unless you work with them, you don't know their last name. You mm-hmm. have to like 
find out in mm-hmm. a certain way. We're like Clark, my best friend growing up. I just knew his name. It was on all his papers. He made a great joke. He said, uh, you saw my last name a lot because you always cheated off of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyways, so, so we had that moment. And so that, like, obviously I know your last name, but I have never said your last name out loud. Oh. So I'm here with Jeff. Je- Jeff. <laughs> Let's try that again. So, so I'm here with Jess Council. Did I say it? Yes. So I'm always, I'm with your last name, it's like council, right? It's like counselor, all that. Yeah. But it, something about it feels hard to say as a last name. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. But also, I'm notoriously bad at pronouncing names, and also notoriously, I used to get in, get people pissed at me. I used to host a reading series, poetry reading series in Muncie, and people all the time, I before the reading, I would be like, how do you pronounce your last name? And they would say it, and I'd go up and mispronounce it. <laughs> Sure, so it wasn't anyways. a performance art piece. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I am a performance art piece. Uh, so Jess Council, not Jeff Council, uh, is here with me. Um, a good friend. I think we're good friends. Yeah, dude. At this point, I would say we're um, known each other for. Has it been like five or six months since August? Was oh, that it? Yeah, it's not very long. Okay, I thought it was a little longer, but mm-hmm. I I can't keep track. Um, so I want to start. Um, by revisiting uh, our first argument. Do you remember? No. Uh, you called me a hipster. <laughs> and it's the first time anyone's ever called me that. And I was like taken aback. So I wanted to revisit that. Uh-huh. Do you still see me as a hipster? A little bit. You do? Yeah. What about me is hipster? I think when I think of hipster... I think of a person who's more intentional about what they consume, what they appreciate, what they wear, mm-hmm. how they wear something. There's just more thought put into it because it's sort of a statement, I think, about their personality. And sure. it's really easy. I love making fun of hipsters because it's just too easy to make to make fun of how easily it can be commercialized and marketed. Yeah. And there's a whole, there's aesthetics. There's, you can just kind of tell when you walk into a space, you're like, oh God, it's going to be full of hipsters. <laughs> yeah. Well, so here was my argument then, and this is still my argument now. And it's not even that I care. It's that. <laughs> Are you I, sure you don't care? <laughs> I don't think I care. And um, my gut says I don't care. Um, but so I see hipsters as like they wear they dress up they dress like a grandpa on purpose Mm -hmm. i dress like a grandpa because my grandpa died and i got all of his clothes and i'm poor (laughs) or like or like um yeah i so i guess on paper i check off a lot of boxes like i'm staring at my fixie bike um you know there's faux wood paneling behind us that i put up (laughs) But my dad gave me that because he, he didn't want to throw it away, so I hung it up there, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, I always think of it as, I'm like in a, um, a situational hipster, where I'm just like, okay. Or accidental. I, like You're not trying to be anything. Like if, if my cousin was a professional basketball player, and he died and left me all of his uh, baggy basketball shorts and basketball jerseys, I would wear those. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> um, so no, I just always thought that conversation was really interesting because it was like we just met and you you said it and I was just like, so I remember like feeling you kind of like shut down and you needed to stop talking to me for a minute when I. Oh yeah. Do you remember that? No. You're like I gotta go. I said okay. <laughs> I was, struck a chord with some. I, I don't know if it struck a chord or I was just so confused I had to like. And so then I remember like calling multiple people. You did? Uh, and being like, am I, and people who I consider closer to hipsters than me, and like, am I one of you? <laughs> uh, and they all said no. So I was just very confused. Okay. Uh, so I just always thought that was interesting. Um, so I wanted to start there. But um, start with how I'm wrong. No. <laughs> No, start with how you're. That was like you were immediately engaging with me and trying to figure me out. Mm-hmm. And I, so that's that's really where I'm going. Is like you're an incredibly sweet and supportive person, and that's why I wanted to have you on here because I think you approach the world in this uh, open-hearted, big-hearted way. Uh, that is a good model for folks, and that's why I think podcasting is about is is to hear. This podcast is about hearing how other people live their lives and make their choices um, so that maybe we can make some better choices in mm-hmm. our lives as listeners and, uh, and fellow humans. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, we had, you came down for, you came down and you brought friends to my collage show from yeah. Indy. So you went, came like an hour to do that and to see my rinky-dink collage show. And that was, and like you check in with me every day about, as I've been, recently had a kind of a, a small breakdown and you've been helping me uh just by uh keeping me keeping in touch with me like every you text me like every day like hey friend how are you doing today mm-hmm. like, it's amazing it's surprising i don't find it annoying i still don't not because it's you because uh, because think if someone texts you every I day i know you'd be like okay get a life <laughs> <laughs> but that i wasn't... have one by the way but you do you do Sorry, I'm not trying to make this like. (laughs) I'm trying. This is me. This is me buttering your bread. I'm. uh, Make sure you get the other side. You're in. Of the bread. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) Double-sided bread. Okay. Come on. Do you butter both sides? Wait. No, I don't. It was just funny to say. Okay. I was like, if I've been doing this. (laughs) Um. Well, you're an incredibly good person. Oh, thanks. So thank you for being a good person, and and let's talk about being a good person. Um, do you, are there things just from what you just we were just talking about? Are there things that you're like, oh my gosh, I might be doing this wrong, and I've never. So here's one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, wiping my butt mm. after going number two. Yeah, I don't know how other people do it, and so I don't know if I'm doing it right. Oh. Um. I'm a stand. I'm a stand up guy. I stand up literally and figuratively. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, I stand up, wipe. Yep. Till I'm done, toss. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, or in like wipe, fold over, wipe again, toss. Mm-hmm. And but I'm I'm doing it sometimes, and I'm self conscious. Like yeah, am I doing? Is are people doing this other? Do they have more in? Mm-hmm. Uh, like innovative ways of <laughs> of doing this, more efficient ways. Um, is there anything like that for you? Or you're like, I don't know if I do this right. Oh my gosh, a lot of things, I guess. Dude, I don't know. You don't have, I mean, it's fine. I can't think of anything. There's a lot of things I can't do, and I want to learn how to do them better. Okay, 
Like what? Like water skiing. I have you ever water skied? I am terrible. You have though. But I get up for maybe 0.2 seconds and then well, bam, I face plant into the water. And I always feel really bad for the people driving the boat because it's so much work for them to have to like come around and pick it back up. You. I just imagine. No, it's true though. Moment. It's and then so I'm trying funny. to apologize as I'm gulping water. Like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do it next time. And then I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. It's just like this whole mechanism of getting you going and then you like immediately fall. Oh no. And then it's start such a little reward for all the work these other people are putting into me to try to give you to do this dumb sport. It's not dumb. It's cool. Yeah. I'm, just, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. it's dumb because I can't do it. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, when when you can't do something, it's best to put it down instead Obviously. of yourself. Obviously. Um, well, that's... so. It's kind of a superficial Do you have, example. like, a family member who has a boat and a lake access? My or? ex's family does. Okay. And so they were the ones who tried to teach me several times. Yeah. They tried to teach me several sports, and I did not do well. Here's a rare uh, or kind of an off-forgotten fact about my grandfather who owned this house was he owned a lake house for a long time. Where? Um, up north at one of those lakes. There's like the Chano Lakes and all those lakes up like there. Like Chano Lakes? Yeah. State Park? Uh, yeah, there's like all those lakes up there. I don't know which one it was. Okay. But it's, it's around there. And so they had this lake cottage, and um, my grandpa didn't even know how to swim, let alone ski. But he taught my aunt, or my uncle, my aunt, my my mom, and my dad how to ski in their late teens and twenties. Very cool. Um, he must have been a really good teacher. Yeah, and but it's just so funny. He was like he was he was deathly afraid of like he couldn't. He did he ever? He, he learned how, right? He never knew how to swim. Whoa! Did no. he ever learn how to ski? He would drive the boat. No. Then how? Okay, Grandpa. He, yeah, he would just observe other people okay. skiing and then figure out how to tell people how to ski. I just imagine you could take down his whole philosophy in about two seconds. Like, well, you've never done this. <laughs> yeah, right. What's he going to say? Um, but he did. Um, I've never skied. Um, I, I'm in, incredibly top-heavy. You're short and strong. And bottom-heavy. And bottom-heavy. I'm like just, a pear. I was going to say strong. That's you, nice You're a pear-shaped. I'm apple-shaped. Um, Together, fruit basket. We are a fruit basket. Um... Yes. So, so I feel like you, you can do this. So let's, yes. Um, well, so I want to start things uh, again by saying that I have a terrible memory. You know this. Yes. That I forget things. And so details don't always win for me. I figured this out. Like I'm often, you're telling me something and I'm so fascinated by what you're telling me that I'm now imagining your life mm -hmm. there but I'm not retaining the who, sure. what, when, where, why. Um, I'm, I'm retaining the experience of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's partially because that's how I look at poems, and poems are, to me aren't about who, what, when, where, why. They're about uh, the experience. They're an event. Mm -hmm. And so I often think of stories or conversations in the same way. Um, so I apologize ahead of time if I ask you questions about things. Okay. Uh, you've already told me a million times. But yeah, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on here was because... Um, you're well-traveled mm -hmm. and that's something that I'm one not and two not around a lot of people who are uh, and so I'm always fascinated to hear about your 
tales of travel. Mm -hmm. You have lived in Morocco. Yes. Thailand. Yes. Anywhere else? I lived in Peru for six months. You lived in Peru for six mm -hmm. months. That's right. I remember that now. Um, which one was first? Peru. Peru was first. Mm -hmm. And what was that for? Study abroad. Study abroad. A what? semester During in college. Mm -hmm. How was that? Amazing. That wasn't my first time out of the country. I had gone to Mexico on a medical missions trip, which blessed those people for letting me go because I had zero medical experience or background. And I was just like, I just want to go and help. Sure. So that so, was like through a church? Yeah. And they were like, I would never forget this old Mayan woman because we were in a, we were in the state um, called Chiapas, which is the southernmost state in Mexico that borders Guatemala. So you get a lot of Mayan Indians. And this poor woman needed a catheter. And she was just so small and frail. And I had no idea how old she was. And my Spanish was embarrassingly minimal. Okay. And all they wanted me to do was to hold up a sheet because they didn't have any curtains to give yep. her privacy so that the doctor could administer the catheter. I could barely do that because I was holding it for almost, I want to say like seven, eight minutes. And if you have to do like that isometric hold yep. of anything, yeah. your muscles are going to tire out. Yeah. And I remember like I dropped the sheet and I felt so useless and embarrassed. I was like, I suck at everything because I can't even hold up a sheet for an old lady and what the hell am I even doing here? What's the point of... Yeah. But then, you know, it's not about you. You can, you know, that's a whole other topic. But going there was pretty amazing because I've always been drawn to... Even as I was a kid, I was drawn to experiences outside of my own framework of understanding. And sure. having a, a kind of an... It sounds... Maybe this sounds weird. Like an eye for diversity... Or I would notice when certain people were missing from groups yeah, or yeah, conversations. Sure. Um, to the point where, like, my parents thought I was some <laughs> mild racism. My parents thought that I was maybe, like, being brainwashed by some liberal teaching at school. Okay. Like, for example, American Girl dolls. Sure. I never had one because they were super expensive, but I would just, like, I would just kind of like touch all the covers of the books at the library at school. Yeah. And I always, my favorite. Well, you would touch all the covers of the books? I would just like touch the covers. The I think I did. But <laughs> my appetite for reading was so intense that I never, ever got to everything I wanted to read. Sure. So I think American Girl movie. books were just a thing that like, I, it's like I, I wanted a snack, but I had to like finish my meal sure. first. But anyway, so you, you like, you notice the lack of diversity. So, for example, my favorite American girl was Addie Walker. She was the little black girl. She was the only black girl in the series. Really? And I don't know. one, I was drawn to her because her last name is my middle name. I was like, well, that's dope. Secondly, instinctively, I was like, I bet she's less popular because she's a little black girl than all these little white girls. And so, call that white guilt or whatever. I just was drawn to these people that didn't sure. look like me, that didn't think like me. Sure. That arguably have different experiences and perspectives. That yeah, was well, a long... I would say that that doesn't necessarily have to do... I mean, it does have to do with race and stuff, but it also has to do with... It starts with your curiosity, not with their race. 
-hmm. you're starting from a place of curiosity, which is what I like about you. Like, experience. I like experiences. Mm -hmm. I like new things. Um, and so that to me is like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, and that's so you're connecting that to this uh, love of traveling. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was studying Spanish for undergrad, and I quickly realized that even though I signed up for all Spanish classes and I was speaking Spanish intermittently throughout the day, I was never going to get to a level of fluency unless I was immersed and uh -huh. I didn't have a choice. Yes. And so my professor, she's Peruvian, she's like, if you want really good Spanish, and what she means by really good Spanish, she meant Spanish that didn't have as many outside, because language evolves and is always changing. Sure. But, you know, different regions. Like if you went to the Caribbean, some of those accents are super harsh that it's just really hard for non-natives to understand. And so she's like, you're going to have an easier time if you go to a place like Colombia or Peru. Okay. And so I picked Peru and I went and it was amazing. I turned 24 there. Nice. And no, 23. Sorry. And... But I didn't really know. I had no idea what I was doing. And so sure. it was my first time out of the country. I had been living at home, going to college. And so, but it wasn't like I was going to a dorm. I was going to go live with a host family. But my mom was... Oh, it was a host family. Yes. Okay. The whole time. My mom was so worried. And she was like, you are coming home immediately. As in like the day the semester ends, I fly back. Yeah. If I could do it again, I absolutely would have just stayed. And You're done there. other stuff. Yeah. yeah, I would have traveled to other. Did, class, did other people that went? Well, like a that? couple cool people. They're like, we're going to go to Ecuador. And that's cool. <laughs> I got to go home and see my mom. So. <laughs> well, but you, but was that important. was your first taste in that. Yeah. Or like besides the mission trip. And so, mm -hmm. um, so that, so that really lit the fire. And then you also did grad school overseas. Yes. Abroad. And Peace Corps. And Peace Corps. Peace Corps first. Peace Corps first. Morocco. Morocco. And then Peace Corps. I mean, grad school in Thailand. So here, so here, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna offer myself up as the dummy. Mor I'm not sure where Morocco mm. is. You wanna try a guess? No. <laughs> um, I did this uh, actually on the last episode. I was just talking about uh, that Sarah gal was uh, talking about they were going to Bulgaria, and, and oh, I was nice. trying to guess what Bulgaria. Oh no! Where'd you say it was? I was, I was in the right area. Okay. Um, but no, but Morocco. I think Morocco. Is Morocco no? Is Morocco South America or Africa? That's it's Africa. It's Africa, right? North Africa. That's what I thought. So um, it's part of the Sahara Desert. Okay, so it's part of the part Sahara. of the Sahara is in Morocco. I should say. I should have known that because you speak Arabic, mm -hmm. right? And that was related to that. Mm -hmm. And that's not in South America. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> so. I should have just been confident with my guess. Um, but, you know, part of this project is being vulnerable. Um, so, Morocco for the Peace Corps. Yeah. Um, you went with your at you, you had you had company. I was married then, and I you went. You had company with, that yes. time. Um, do, did that make the experience easier or harder, do you think? Probably you, both. Yeah. Morocco is not a safe place for women. It's really tough, and men and like the men and women in Peace Corps had vastly different experiences and outlooks on that place. Okay. For men, Morocco was just this giant playground. 
they're kings. They can do anything they want. It doesn't matter. Kind of not without impunity, but almost. Yeah. For women, there's just you're always watched in ways that don't make you feel safe, and it doesn't. It has. I thought I was going to be harassed because I wasn't Muslim, but I was uh, harassed because I was a woman. It had nothing to do with what I believed or didn't believe. Okay. A lot of the girls I taught, they thought I was Muslim. They're like, how are you not Muslim? And I was like, nah, I've, I'm not. I'm, I'm a Christian. And they're like, well, what's that? And so <laughs> then that would open up a different kind of conversation. Yeah. Do you think that, was there a curiosity? From, I mean, obviously you went with curiosity or you wouldn't have went. Mm-hmm. But was from the other women or even the men, was it, was it all judgment or was there curiosity kind of going both ways? Kind of both. I mean, with some of the like it, it's so gender segregated that I spent the majority of my time with women. Yeah. And so then they would ask some questions, and then, um, yeah, there was a shit ton of judgment because I didn't have any kids. Yeah. Like, why are you even here? What yeah. are you doing? What about clothing? Well, I mean, I dressed. You dressed. I didn't dress. I didn't wear their clothes, but I absolutely wore, like. If I had a skirt on, even if it was down to my ankles, I'd still wear leggings underneath. Uh-huh. If I had a t-shirt on, I'd put long sleeves. Like you, so I you wore adjusted, everything covered. You adjusted to their culture. In yep, that way. I wore a head covering in maybe one city because it was just I didn't want the attention. Yep. But yeah, and I think it is that part of it too when you travel to other places is kind of playing by their rules or playing by their culture. I think it depends because. I don't ever want to fuel that fire. Like if we're talking, if we're going to use her, let's use harassment as an example, street harassment, sexual harassment. Yeah. If a tourist is in a foreign country, sure, there is some onus on them, especially if they're knowingly traveling to a place that has vastly different customs, beliefs, that you might want to adapt what you're wearing for the duration of the trip. Yeah. If you don't, should it be considered your fault if something happens to you? No. Well, no. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Like I would go, I would go into Marrakesh, which is a bigger city in Morocco, and there were tons of tourists there. And I lived in a really tiny town in the desert, so yeah. I hardly saw foreigners. And I, I would see like these tourists from France wearing shorts, and you never like men didn't even wear shorts in Morocco. Yeah. And to like see a woman's bare legs after a year was kind of startling and okay. a part of, and I found myself judging them harshly. I said, what the hell are you wearing? That yeah, is yeah, so yeah. inappropriate. Yeah. You're in a Muslim country, young lady. Put yeah. some pants on. Yeah, yeah. But then the other part is me is like, nah, that's a whole part of you know, like being treated like an equal human. You yeah, get yeah. to wear whatever the hell you want and that's cool. Yeah. So there's a tension. Uh, well, yeah, I think I've heard a lot of people talk too about like, like as far as taboos, right? Like the way certain people the way certain cultures deal with um i don't know like picking their nose or picking their teeth mm-hmm. they're like everyone's different every mm-hmm. culture is different on that and so even just those little things i think that's fascinating mm-hmm. um uh yeah and then and then you did grad school in yep. thailand what yes. do you what was your degree in it officially it is social science which so, is very broad. It's very broad. Yes. What were you the, focused They just on? changed the name of the degree okay. when I started. And it was a focus on sustainable development. The school I went to had a comparable program to what I had applied to in the States. So it was really a matter of logistics. 
So it was actually a school there that you got your degree from? In Thailand? Yeah. Yes. So it wasn't like it's not a like I did here, no. like a study abroad for grad school. Mm-mm. Like no. I enrolled in a Thai university and okay. had Thai professors and did all that stuff. Wow. The program was in English. Yeah. There's no way I could have done it if it wasn't. Sure. <laughs> Thai is so hard. <laughs> yeah. So hard. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting too. These three major countries we're talking about, these are three different languages. Mm-hmm. You, it's not like you're like roaming around Spanish speaking. It'd be cool if I was, but um, no, I wasn't. But you made us choices to go mm-hmm. to these places. So you're, you're insatiable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what, what did you, what did you the creating or sustainability? Sustainable development. Sustainable development. What exactly Is does that mean? Fast. Well, you think of development, think of big, Entities like the UN, the World Bank, yeah. the World Food Program, yep. these big systems that churn out, quote, successful programs for feeding hungry people, for yeah. reforestation, water, like bringing water to villages, all that stuff. From a perspective of, as a Westerner, we have always been the benefactor. We have been yes. the one giving money and technology and professionals to take care of quote these problems was really awesome to study it in a place that receives a lot of that aid because they have a totally different perspective on these outsiders coming to quote help okay and so we took a very critical perspective on big projects like uh, bringing hydroelectric power to um, villages in northwestern thailand which is where i lived yeah uh, so we talked a lot about these big companies and investors that don't listen or respect indigenous knowledge. Yeah. That don't see it as on the same uh, playing field of existence, really. There's that technocracy, that idea that all these problems can be solved through technology. Technocracy. Yeah. I like that term. Uh, but I think that we're finding over and over again that that's not... That's not the full picture, and it is excluding so many different types of people and sure. experiences, and their which goes back to your interests. Yeah, and their right. values. Yeah. Yes. So we had to make our own thesis. So we just had to like pick something that we wanted to study. Yeah. What did you go? I for? had come off the heels of Peace Corps, and we had backpacked for several months in between going to Thailand and leaving Morocco. So I was very cognizant and sensitive to global women's issues because it was something that I cared very deeply about and I was invested in and so I wanted to do something related to women's rights Um, so I and I was very interested in the concept of violence because I just I wanted to get I just like to get to the roots of things if you can even do that what is you know why does violence against women happen what does that even mean? Those <laughs> are really big, big questions. Yeah, yeah. Those are huge questions. And so I ended up studying... <laughs> ties are so funny. They were like academic ties. They were so concerned about the title of my thesis. I had to have that, I had to have that title locked down before I could even write my thesis. That's bizarre. And I had to go through a committee to get it approved. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Not insane. Insane. Just really different. Yes. So different than American universities. You don't kind of get to find your way to your big no thing. You have to make up a big thing and then create 
underneath of that. Yeah. I think they just really, I don't know if they, I think they just needed to know that you they had were, something that you were going to study. That you were going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up examining migrant workers that lived and worked in Chiang Mai, which is where I lived. Yeah. These migrant workers were from Burma, which is now Myanmar. I don't call it Myanmar mainly because the people that I worked with and those that I met, they called it Burma. Yep. It's the, the, it's the government that calls it Myanmar. Okay. So solidarity. Yep. Uh, migrant workers from Burma, specifically from Shan State, which is one of the ethnic minority. So the Shan are one of the ethnic minority groups in Burma. I wanted to know their experiences of violence, of family violence uh -huh. as migrant workers. Okay. So you have a lot of things to examine. Primarily what I wanted to understand was how these women defined violence. What does it look like to them? Where have they seen it? Does it happen to them? Yeah. If it does happen to them, why does it happen to them? And it was fascinating because I don't go, I did not go trying to tell them you're being abused and this is sure. why. Because if you really want that kind of change to like that can lead to legislative efforts to make violence against women illegal yeah. and to actually have consequences that match, then you have like those those people have to come to that understanding on their own. Yeah. That what's happening to them is a crime and it's a crime against their bodies. Yes. And they don't have to take it. So I interviewed 35 migrant women. I had to use an interpreter. Uh, just asking them really broad questions, and we found intersections of Theravada Buddhism, which is interestingly shared with most Thais. They identify as Buddhist. Okay. Majority of Thais. So you have like your Shan and your Thais, and they share Buddhism. And so then you talk about concepts like karma mm -hmm. and making merit at temples and reincarnation and yep. how that impacts a woman's experience of violence. I could go into a very deep rabbit hole there. Yeah. Uh, I can. Well, it's, yeah, yeah, we could, or you could, and I'd love to listen to it. I'm just trying to pace ourselves, uh, pace myself so I, I can remember what we're talking about uh, and all I'm learning. Um, yeah, and so, so I, yeah, I like this way. So you're asking them these more open-ended questions through, as this effort to, to, not, to not preach to them or tell them about their own experience. Mm -hmm but to give, give them a chance to tell their own experience and, and maybe make their own realizations as they answer the questions? My goal at the end was to then take the data yeah. and then give it to NGOs, non-governmental organizations. Uh -huh. and like, hey, this is what I have learned. Maybe you can incorporate some of these concepts yeah. or um, findings into your programming. So what were some big findings that you made? That there is a link, I found a link between um, women's acceptance of violence or kind of just like this passive resignation uh -huh. and their religion. So the idea yeah. that, because in, in, I am not a Buddhist, disclaimer, but this is what I pulled from my uh, participants. In Theravada Buddhism, men are ordained as monks which can get them into a higher level of heaven, I believe. Women cannot be ordained as monks. Yeah. So what a lot of women tend to do is they will make a lot of merit 
which is like giving gifts, money, yep. sacrifices to the temple, or just kind of accepting things that happen to them in the hopes that they've lived a good enough life that in the next life, when they're reincarnated, they will yeah. then become a man who can then become a monk and then move on. Oh. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like a long game. Very long game. Um, so a lot of a lot of boys will become monks for the sake of their family, so that they can help make that merit for their moms, their yep. sisters, whomever. So there was this kind of understanding that if things happen to them, it's probably because they did something wrong in a past life, mm-hmm. which is very difficult for NGOs, especially if they're not, if they're from the West, yeah. to try to work with people that saying like, no, this is kind of what's supposed to happen. Yeah, this it's really is, messed up. This, in a way, this is my punishment. Kind of, which yeah. is, whoa. Yeah, which that's, is deep, that's hard which to swallow. Deep. Um, so, but it's kind of like from the onset, from birth, it's this, it reminds me of the conversation we were having about Morocco, where it's just, you know, you said gender segregated. And it, it feels like their um, spiritual path is also gender segregated mm-hmm. just from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And when you're saying, vi- you know, you keep mentioning violence against women, I guess we should kind of back up. And um, what kind of violence are we talking? Are we talking about physical, like, violence, like, directly to them by, like, men they're in relationships with? Or are talking more like cultural violence or, um, or... Verbal, emotional abuse, sure. those kind of things. I was, because violence is such a broad concept. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. I focused it to, I narrowed it down to family violence, which means that, and it could encompass physical, emotional, verbal, sexual, spiritual abuse from a, mem- uh-huh. from a member of their household. Okay. Um, so aside from the religious component, another factor I examined was kind of this dual identity of being a migrant and being a woman. Okay. Because as a migrant worker, you, you, you're kind of invisible and you're meant to be in a way. Yeah. Because you're doing the work. You're doing work that most people of that country Don't do not want to do. Want to do. That's why. Migrant workers exist in, everywhere. Yeah. Here, well, here, have I told mm-hmm. you the, the with the red gold tomato factory, you know, we have a lot, a large migrant population Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, and the, yeah, the camp's actually just down the road. Um, well, I wonder if I wonder thinking back to like, so you're bringing back that experience and all three of these experiences um, of time abroad, and it sounds like you're yeah, you're really interested in like um, the place of women in those cultures mm-hmm. and the way women are treated. Coming back to America and adjusting back to being a woman in America. What was that experience like, or, and is that experience, what of those experiences did you bring back and kind of change the way you thought about or um, were a woman in America? Sure. I don't know the best way to say it, but. I came back with a, um, a, a strong sense of urgency that women's issues are super important, and they absolutely, in my opinion, need to be elevated two of the highest priority for the, for states. I'm talking about like government entities. Yeah, yeah. If they, there's an incredible book I read, if I may give a recommendation. Of course. It's called Sex and World Peace. Sex and World Peace. Yes, and yep. it's about, the, the, the thesis of the book is that a nation's 
level of security and stability is directly correlated to its treatment of their women. Wow. Which is, talk about blowing your mind. And somehow that is considered a progressive concept, which also blows my mind. (laughs) It's still like wildly offensive to so many people though. That idea that. Yeah. I'm always amazed at the things that get labeled as progressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Racial injustice, Mm -hmm. women's rights, um, healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's like, how are these things progressive? Yeah. (laughs) Um, They're not, they should just be normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so, um, so I'm sorry. So you're kind of, it made you just kind of come back with the realization of the importance of these issues? Yes. So I came back with this urgency that this is very important and I want to do what I can to support the global movement for women's rights. Also, it provided just a lot of American women and I'm going to specify middle-class white American women in their version of feminism, get a lot of slack and a lot of flack. I guess that's the word. They get a lot of flack from people saying that, like, they're out of touch with, you know, what's really going on and the things that they're, quote, complaining about aren't valid. I would, one, absolutely validate those things that those women are talking about because saying that, like, well, it's, it's not as bad as female genital mutilation. Like, yes, you are correct. It is not. Yeah. But... The mistreatment of women... Well, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like we only have so much attention to give, so we can only give it to female genital mutilation, but we can't give it to... Like like microaggressions of, you know, unequal... Or the pay gap. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Something Uh, like that. Yeah, so being able to kind of hold space for both of those, Mm -hmm. that what women here fight for is good and should be fought for. Yeah. I like that when I came back, I saw a lot more efforts to include or to, I guess the buzzword of that time was just a few years ago was intersectional feminism, making sure that it is inclusive women of different ethnic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, abilities. Yeah. Um, And that's, I think where some of the, the complaints toward uh, middle-class white women comes from is the lack of intersectionality. Yes, and that goes all the way back to like the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. For that second wave and of so feminism. I, I see that, but I don't, yeah, but I agree too with the, like it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like we only have so many chips yeah. to play. So when I, so when I meet, meet women here, they're like, I could never be a feminist. And that kind of blows my mind because I'm like, oh man, what about women, what about like little girls that can't go to school and girls that are sexually abused and then encouraged by judges to marry their rapist? You know, like that is not okay. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a case while I was in Peace Corps of a Moroccan girl. I think she was 14. The judge, so she was raped. Yeah. And the judge had told her and recommended to her family that she just go ahead and marry the guy to, per, to um, what's the word, to kind of alleviate shame yeah you know because women's bodies carry that like it is our duty whether we want to or not we carry that shame that is out and that honor so she killed herself with uh i think she took rat poison she's awful 14 years old Yeah, it's awful an eighth grader shouldn't happen um yeah and i yeah it's just it's just so far behind where i think a lot of people are in the thinking of like the, there's a connection that's not being made globally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, so 
kind of thinking of that. I've been reading uh, Mayor Pete's uh, new book, Trust. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's all about trust in America and how mm-hmm. America's path forward. I think it's called America's Best Chance is like the subtitle. And it's talking about how in this next decade we need to uh, re reinstitute trust and mm-hmm. recapture trust in our institutions and um, yeah. with each other as citizens. And uh, and he said something really interesting because he's done a lot of traveling too, uh, both in the military and in, in school. And, um, and so he was talking about how when he's traveling, it was really eye-opening to him when he first traveled abroad and I, I believe in undergrad, the seeing other countries' uh, perception of America. And so the first time he traveled abroad was uh, during George W. Bush's first term. Ooh. And right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then, so then, uh, yeah, so he like mentions about how he was seeing all these uh, like white tourists like his age traveling and they would have uh like the maple leaf canada yeah on their backpack mm-hmm. and he's like i know there aren't that many canadians traveling and he would ask them and they would admit that they were american totally and that they and that they wouldn't um so i was just wondering what kind of things did you run into in in morocco and peru and um thailand about perceptions of america and about your and about your status as an American. Interesting. So fun fact about me, the last three presidential elections, and I'm talking 2008, 2012, 2016, uh-huh. correct? I was abroad. I was in Peru, Morocco, and Thailand for all those elections. And so... 2016 you were? Y- yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he, I mean, we, you know, voted November 2015. Yep. Cast the vote. So... I don't know. Well, I'm no, sure a lot no. of Americans can try to grasp like how important the rest of the world holds our elections. Yes. And in Peru, because it was when Obama won for the first time. Yes. I would get into a taxi and all the taxi drivers would be like, hey, Obama. And it was before the election. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, it's going to be great. And we're kind of like, I hope he wins. And he, and he won and it was awesome. Yes. And because it just felt like we could kind of breathe a little bit easier. And it was interesting to see the ramifications of a U.S. election outside the U.S. Yes. Because you're in places that maybe are less stable, have a bit more discord. Uh-huh. Um, anyways. Or so, are just different in their political system. Yeah. In various ways. Being in Morocco, that's why we're experiencing the most tension. We got accused of being spies for the CIA, which... We can laugh at, but that's, that's happened, you know? Like, people have gone to foreign countries under the guise of aid workers and what have you and are really just doing reconnaissance work for our government. Yes. I'm not going to get into conspiracy theory shit. Sure. No, we <laughs> not, we... not my jam. So, and so a lot of people were really just mistrustful. Distrustful. They, they didn't think that we were really there as Peace Corps. Yeah. They didn't understand what that was. They thought we were secret missionaries and we were going to try to convert their kids. We're like, no, we're not allowed to do that. Even if we wanted to, that's not why we're here. Yeah. Um, I had like trash thrown at us before. Um, some drunk guy, I remember screaming at us from, and being drunk in Morocco is not something that people do. 
because oh, okay. good Muslims don't drink alcohol. Yes. Uh, in Thailand, that was really fucking depressing because we watched Trump get elected. Yes. And we were 12 hours ahead. And so I remember sitting at a cafe with my friend. Okay. Watching the results come in. And we were like, no, no. And we kept re refreshing. We we're like, oh my God, like, what do we do? Yes. And that election was really scary because there was like this palpable sadness throughout the city. Yes. Because people were afraid of what this rogue potato with butthole lips was going to do once in office. <laughs> and rogue. I the butthole lipstick is pretty funny, but rogue potato is really good. I know. I just um, made it up. That's really good. Um, rogue potato. And I love potatoes, but come on, man. Um, well, also, you know, we've talked about before um, that Thailand tourism is really big. So I wonder how that factors into their connection to America and also their kind of worry in something like that with a president who's very... Um, skeptical to be nice about foreigners and about um, or has and, almost an isolationist policy yeah and so how does that I wonder how that well, you were there so like I wonder how that set in with them of like you know is he not going to let people like come visit our country <laughs> like you know or like I mean people were scared because all like it's so hard for a foreigner and you know Real talk, like, depending on where your passport is from. Yes. If you have a German passport, you're golden. But if you have an Iraqi passport, you're screwed. Yeah. U.S. government does not want to give you visas. Yes. And so one, so it's, it's already difficult for people from, you know, quote, certain areas, like the MENA region, Middle East, North Africa, yeah. to get visas to come in. And it was made even more difficult once Trump was elected. And people were just afraid. Yeah. So, yeah, it was... It just, and I was in Morocco when this is going back to the second election, second Obama's second term. I was in, I was in Morocco when the Libyan, when the U.S. embassy was attacked in Libya. Okay. And the U.S. ambassador to Libya was murdered. He was a former Peace Corps volunteer. Oh. Which was um, like such a cool guy yeah. in everything that he did. Yeah. But it was scary because you are, you're not in this comfortable insulated environment yeah. and kind of hearing about unstable things happening really far away. It was just like two countries over. Yes. It just felt very close to us. Wow. And we just, we were, I, it's scary. Yeah, for sure. Um, but also a, a really, a, you're such a strong person and such a thoughtful person. I wonder how that, those experiences, those scary experiences or those, uh, uncomfortable experiences have contributed to your growth to be mm -hmm. a better person. You know, you've put yourself in very um, unfamiliar and uncomfortable mm -hmm. positions uh, and came out on the other side. Mm -hmm. So in a way, that's awesome. And set, and uh, another, what, oh, wait, before I move on, because I want to move on to talking. We've already been talking for like 50 minutes. Nice. Uh, but I, uh, before I move on to the next thing, I want you were also didn't you have a trip planned but that got canceled because of covid did you have yeah that? i was gonna hike the appalachian trail that's right you're gonna because that so that's a great segue uh something i'm very excited about being your future friend about is Hello. is outside time mm -hmm. um you're always down to go outside go hiking 
go to state parks, camping, all that. And um, I, uh, I very much need a buddy in that realm. And so mm-hmm. I'm very excited about that. Um, and so you were going to do Appalachian Trail. Yes. Um, I want to correct it to Appalachian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no. Uh, so you're going to do that. So hopefully you can do that one day. You did take a solo Wisconsin trip. Minnesota. Minnesota. Solo yes. Minnesota trip. Mm-hmm. And that was a big learning experience yes. for you. I went Would to you like the Superior Hiking Trail. Yes. And I just kind of picked it. Because I wanted to go somewhere I had not been. Yep. And I wanted to, I don't know, just, I wanted to push myself and see, could I do a solo trip? Yeah. Like backpacking overnight. I've done backpacking. I've done loads of camping. But it's usually been, if I've done backpacking by myself, it was just one night. And I've done loads of camping with other people. Yes. Um, so I drove my dad's truck from Michigan because we had gone to Michigan for just a little family thing for my dad's birthday. So I was just gonna drive up to Minnesota. Um, and like my entire trip was thrown off by a few hours because it took me a lot longer to get there than I thought. Yep. So I had these big plans, like I'm gonna hike in five miles when I, after driving 11 hours, which no, who the hell wants to do that? <laughs> Maybe if I was 15 years younger. Yeah. But I got there, I was like, I am so freaking tired. And so I hiked in like, a mile and a quarter. Yep. But immediately I was humbled by nature, which is so, so good. Like not even 10 minutes into the hike, I'm climbing up boulders. I'm wheezing and huffing and puffing and sweating. And it's just like, how the fuck am I going to do this yeah. for several days? And I'm not even a mile in. Ugh. So <laughs> the first day was like legit scary because I get to the camp and the trail has like good trailblazes. Yeah. But there's little offshoots for backcountry camping. You could not really see those signs. And so I almost passed it. And I I was so grateful that I saw like a guy hammock camping and then it's another girl and another lady were camping. I was like, yes, You're like people. People. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm not afraid. So like I got um I start to like set up my tent and I it's dusk. And, you know, you just lose light so fast, so much faster in the woods. Yes. Uh, sun setting. I go to like grab my phone to take a picture to my parents. Can't find my phone. I'm like, oh fuck. I think it fell out of my pocket when I was taking pictures. I'm like, God damn it, rookie mistake. So I was like, do I go hike back for it? Or do I just wait and see if a, a coyote got it and I go look in the morning? So I decide to go back. I grab my headlamp. Mistake number two, besides my phone. Mistake number two is I didn't keep have... Keep track of your phone, because tips is one of my things. Yeah, keep track of your goddamn phone. <laughs> Put it way deep in your pocket and zip that shit up. Don't pull it out unless necessary. Uh, Something about a headlamp. Yeah, bring extra batteries, because... Yes. I had not changed the batteries out of my headlamp for about a year. And then, of course, they start going dim. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> yes. I'm losing light. I'm getting to the point where I can't see, and have you ever, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term trail angels. Uh, a lot of backpackers will talk about them when they go on their, like. Is that like you're, you don't have any food and you're about to pass out and all of a sudden an old man with a granola bar shows up? It's like Rumpelstiltskin. Okay. But for hikers. Yeah. Was he a good guy, Rumpelstiltskin? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I thought he was. 
I just think that's a funny name. Okay, I, maybe it's not him. So somebody that's benevolent that is going to help you out. There's this dude who's, we're about to cross paths. And I was like, hey man, if you happen to see a phone, it's mine. <laughs> and he said, well, he was super nice. He's like, well, if, if I do see one, because he was like leaving the camp, leaving the trail to yeah. go to the parking lot. So, well, if I do see it, I'll just run it back to you. I was like, you do not have to do that. Just leave it on a rock. I don't know. Leave it on a rock. I don't, I didn't know. Put I was, I rock. didn't want to, I didn't want to put this guy out. Well, and... this is part of being in nature, right? There aren't like, you can't say like, give it to the cashier. No. McDonald's. Yeah. And you so. Know. Yeah. And then I like lend my light to him because he's like, oh, I should probably get my headlamp out. And then I realized that his is maybe 50 times brighter than mine. I was like, oh man, I am in so much trouble. And I was like, love to stay in chat, but I'm losing daylight and I need to make it back to my camp. So I, I'm looking on the ground, but then I realized I just have to speed up because I'm, it's almost dark. Yeah. And then I can't find my campsite, which you think you wouldn't lose. So but tip you three, do. don't lose your campsite. Oh my God, don't lose your campsite. I almost started crying. And I was like, just calm down. I didn't get off the trail, but I just, I, I couldn't find the little offshoot yeah. to get to it. And so in my pride, I didn't want to yell for help. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want these people to think I'm just a big chump. Because you're not inexperienced. No, but I just hadn't encountered this before. And yeah, and it's just like a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Yes. And so then I said, pride be damned, I need to yell for help. And so I just said, hello, is this the campsite? I can't find my campsite. And thankfully this sweet woman came out with her beautiful bright headlamp and she, and she like, I was way off. I was like turning too early and she like led me back and there's no way I would have found that um, without her. Yeah. She gave me her, she gave me extra batteries. 20 minutes later, this is the thing. It's like 7.30, it's dark. I'm like, I have to poop, but I'm not going to because I don't, I'm just too stressed. <laughs> I'm not even gonna, cause that's a whole ordeal. I don't wanna eat cause I'm too stressed. I just wanna like lay down and try to read Catcher in the Rye with my headlamp that's dying. <laughs> and I'm the hipster? I know. I'm You're just, reading Catcher in the Rye by, head, by headlamp? I know, and I, that was the second <laughs> time I read it. 20 minutes later, I hear, hey, did somebody lose a phone? The guy found my phone and he trekked back in the dark and brought it to me. That's a good dude. That's a good dude. Such a good, so he's a trail angel. He didn't just put it on the, yeah. He didn't put it on a rock. I know, that lovely lady and that guy, they were, so that, that really rattled me. Yeah. And I was just so, because anything could happen. Anything could happen in the woods. That's why I love it. Which is part of the fun. Yes. But it's also part of the terrifying, like the real risk. Yeah. So I kept doing it. I just didn't, my entire trip changed after that. I didn't log nearly as many miles as sure. I wanted to because I was really just tired. But that's, but that's like, you can see it as like, it's not a failure. It's an adjustment you made. And you made yeah. another adjustment that worked for you and that, because if you had kept just trying to, I'm sticking to my plan, it would have just got oh, worse it, and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I'm excited to do some camping and traveling and hiking with you, mm-hmm. if you'll allow me. Yeah. Um, this summer. So what are some of your favorite spots in Indiana? Mm. Right now, my favorite spot is Morgan Monroe State Forest. And is that the one that's down like by Bloomington? 
It's it's in Martinsville or closer to Martinsville. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just know Lake Monroe and like Mer- yeah. That's more yeah. Hoosier National Forest. Okay. Yeah, it's just they have some gorgeous ten mile loops, and the Tecumseh Trail goes yeah. through Morgan Monroe, which I think is forty something miles. Whoa. Yeah, and it but it but it's a through. It's not forty. I think it's twenty eight. But it's a through hike, so still you have to commit to going back or having somebody pick you up. That's probably my favorite because it's never been too crowded and I've gone I I went hiking I did 10 miles the day after Thanksgiving I didn't see a single person and it was just so wonderful and lovely I've gone hiking in the snow rain every season it's my favorite spot that's awesome Mm -hmm. um I've been in I've been in love with uh is it Fort Harrison Fort Ben no what's the one that's by Fall Creek yeah Fort Ben Benjamin Harrison yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, both, there's a great disc golf course right there. <laughs> and there's, I've been hiking over there a couple times, and I love that. Um, great. Uh, dream trip. So I think there's two, anytime you say like dream something, right? There's mm-hmm. like the realistic one. Like, and then there's like the no parameters, no money, no time, no oh, man. ability. So what's like your, like, what's one maybe you're looking forward to that you want to do? That I think I could do? Yeah, like a realistic one. The first that's coming to my mind is Iceland. Oh, Iceland. Mm -hmm. Nice. I I, I know a guy who is studying Viking history. Very cool. He's getting his PhD in Viking history. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I've... Yeah, I've heard it's beautiful. I'd want to go for the for the trekking. I really like Sigur Rós. Um, <laughs> that would uh, the band, and yeah, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I always, anytime someone's like, I went to Iceland, they they always have a picture of them in like a um, like a natural spring, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm like, well, that looks great. Um, that's a good one. What about no parameters? Like, because my biggest parameter, more than money, is time. Yeah. And I would want to devote time to completing the Triple Crown. What's For the... backpackers, that's the Pacific wow. Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. Continental Divide starts New Mexico, Mexico border, uh-huh. and goes all the way up through um, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, up to the Canadian border. Yeah. I think... America has so much natural beauty, and I want the time to experience it at a walking pace. Yeah. It's different than a car. I don't want, whenever I'm driving through some, a place that's beautiful, I want to stop and get out and I, walk. I have that, I have that too. Um, yeah, I, there's like a tactileness that is necessary to mm-hmm. experience a place. Um, yeah, I totally, those all sound great. I would, yeah, the Appalachian Trails on my, is like something I should look towards. I haven't done as much as I want. Um, well, one, because I've never had a, uh, a friend or a partner that's like has been, has been interested in it. And then, all, and then I don't do well solo because of my mental illness. Mm-hmm. I, I told you about my Miss Cinewall trip. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if I've said this on here, so I want to say it. I tried after my wife left, a few months after my wife left, I was like, it's summer. I'm going camping. Uh, 
no one could go with me. Uh, and so I was like, I'm still just going to go up. And it's not even in the middle of the woods. It's at the campground. And this and all. And so I set up. And then I start having, I start hallucinating. I start, I start having a mood swing. And I start getting in a bipolar episode and hallucinating and having delusions and seeing all these things. And, and you're already kind of hallucinating in the woods anyways. Everyone kind of hallucinates from that. When the sun goes down and all mm-hmm. this, the chirping and all, the, all that little stuff. And I laid there like terrified. Just, I just felt terrified for some reason. And I don't even remember why for like four hours. And then at like 2 a.m. I just literally picked up my tent with her and shoved it in my van and drove home and passed out in the driveway and slept in my car oh, in my driveway. How do you know about that last part? Um, and I was like, I guess I can't go camping alone. Oh, no. And then like a month later, I met you. So you're my, maybe you're my trail angel. Let's do it. Um, did that make you, did you blush when I called you my trail angel? I don't think so. Oh, we should have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, well, you know, we've been boogieing for a good amount of time. And a couple last things before, did you notice I have um, Chuck Klosterman's Superthetical? Are you familiar with Chuck Klosterman? No. He's like a cool, like, uh, he writes about, like, pop culture from, like, a philosophical standpoint. He writes okay. a lot about, like, rock and roll and uh, sports and and that kind of and other kinds of music but from like a, he's like real brainy about it well he was the ethicist for the new york times i believe for a while and so people would like it's like a highbrow version of like dear abby where they would like write in like i'm having this conundrum what should mm-hmm. i do and he would give them like That's a reasoned cool. rational thing well so he so he started creating these like hyp- uh, hypotheticals um and for that column and then and then they they made they had him make it into like a card game so basically it's not even a real game there's no points there's no winning but it's just like you pick a card and there's a hypothetical Mm -hmm. and then you discuss it so i think so i did it on a previous episode where i just think it's fun to do with people who like that kind of thing so i'm going to pull out a little stash here and then we'll i'll have you pick one and then, um, do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? You can. All right. Make sure it's not the same one. Okay. So there's a person, too, that's like, is the character of the hypothetical. Mm-hmm. This one is a, sometimes it's a specific person. Uh, this one is a hypothetical person. All right. This is a person who appears to be almost exactly like you in every meaningful way, except for one key difference. They're either much more... Or much less attractive than you. Mm-hmm. And then here's the hypothetical. Okay. You have been trapped at the airport for 12 hours. Your original flight home was canceled. This is very appropriate, too, with traveling. Uh, your original flight home was canceled as you were the next two flights the airline rebooked you on. As were the next two flights the airline rebooked you on. The weather is inclement, so many travelers are dealing with the same problem. Finally, you are told to go to gate 33, where a flight to your destination is boarding. You run to the gate and speak with the agent at the desk. You're informed that the flight is now completely full and you will have to wait another four hours. The imagined person is in the same predicament as you, and when they arrive at gate 33, you inform them that the flight is full. You sit down and watch as they walk up to the same desk. 
You can't hear what they are saying to the agent, but you watch them converse. At one point, they both laugh. The agent then hands the person a boarding pass, and they walk under the plane. The door to the jetway closes, and the agent walks away from the desk. What do you think happened, and what do you do? Oh. So basically, there's a person um, that appears exactly like you, except they're either more or less attractive than you. Um, and they're trying to get on the same flight as you that you've been turned down on, but they, they get the go-ahead. Um, yeah. Well, I, I could think that I would probably just convince myself that they had, that they already had their ticket. Mm-hmm. Or that they, um, and that I just didn't realize it, that I'm, that I'm misperceiving the situation. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just to con- to keep myself from freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably what I would do. I would uh, play some uh, mental gymnastics mm-hmm. to keep myself from getting mad. What about you? What, what do you take of this whole situation? Well, I'm just going to presume that we're not in a super shady place where you would openly bribe, pay a bribe to an airline worker to get a seat. Yeah. If that is not on the table. I think my first assumption would be that they like charmed their way on the flight. Yeah. Um, or they had some kind of special connection that I don't have. Yes. And like they I, knew the person. Or yep. They or they were important or I don't know. Yes. And I would just have to chalk, you know, chalk it up to this is what happens when you travel and not allow my, like, who am I going to get mad at? And for, yeah. no. Because if you're already waiting 12 hours, another four hours isn't that big a deal. But isn't it? No. No. If you're good at traveling, you're really good at being flexible and just having to wait. Especially right. if you're in developing nations. Sure. Because that's how it goes. Yeah. And so what, what are things that make you a good traveler? What are things you've learned that help you be a good traveler? I'm flexible. Flexible. Resourceful. Um, what, what about, I always eat before I go to the airport. I always make sure I don't go to the airport hungry because then I end up eating crap at the airport. And like, mm. I'm, I don't like being that guy with like a Burger King bag. Oh, I <laughs> like don't mind. <laughs> heading on the plane. I, there's just something about that. I, I like feeling, I like getting there and I'm just there. And I'm, I'm a big reader. Like I'm a plane reader, and I'm I so I can wait for four, twelve hours and just read mm-hmm. and write and, and goof around. Um, so yeah, so I like yeah being flexible. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm I'll, I'll tell you something. I love Chuck Klosterman, and I've the first edition of this game I've played some with some friends, but the first two we've pulled out of here, not that excited about them. Mm, okay, um, they're kind of fun, but it's but I do like how. Uh, thematically appropriate that one was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. Um, yeah, so I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up. But the thing I've been doing to end the episodes lately has been to kind of give us a gratitude moment. I think that's something I've been working on. Every day I do this thing before I touch my phone, before, uh, right as soon as I get out of bed, I walk over to my desk and I have a little bucket and a little uh, sticky notepad, and I write something I'm grateful for, and I throw it in there, so I start the day with gratitude. 
But I also like ending these conversations with gratitude mm-hmm. as a way to give listeners and ourselves grat- uh, that feeling as we head out into whatever we do next. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you mind sharing something you're grateful for? Like grateful for today? Uh, today or just something that you've been thinking about that you're like, man, I'm grateful. I'm thankful for that. I mean, driving here was a lot of snow. It was, um, it's just getting, it's starting to. Yeah, but I was really grateful to be able to see it and experience it. Because I just think it's really beautiful. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I was just, I loved, I liked driving in it, I guess. Yeah. And it's impermanent, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, that's something I'm trying to learn about emotions and about situations and about, they're not, they don't last very long. Yeah. And so even, like, that snow is going to be gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, let's enjoy it as we can experience mm-hmm. now um yeah i'm grateful that i found i found mindfulness and gratitude practices they've really changed the way i look at the world and the way i converse with others and um yeah and the way i just live my day-to-day life mm-hmm. when That's i'm great. balanced and level so well uh jeff council <laughs> <laughs> jess council an hour later i'm uh, still saying it um thank you for being here thanks for having thank me. you for being my friend thanks for being mine um here's the time for gratitude thank you to landon caldwell slash creeping pink for the use of his song uh free yourself to start off this podcast each and every episode thank you to my patreon supporters um enrique lozano and paz pardo terry Tan and billy burkert uh, Josh Caldwell, Heather Collier, and uh, Morgan Jackman and family. Um, I appreciate your support of all my work through being a Patreon supporter. Um, if anyone else would like to be a Patreon supporter, it's patreon.com slash yourbuddytgob. And thank you to all of y'all for listening. Please subscribe.